0: So Clint Whitcomb is the name, and i got to give tribute to Pastor Jonathan Bartholo. Pastor Jonathan not only has mentored Daniel and I, he's just an amazing man to, to shadow after. And that's one thing I'll tell you, you always have to have someone that you're looking up to that's maybe one step ahead of you in life that you can try to say, I want to be like that person someday when I'm 20, when I'm 25, when I get a first career, when I'm a daddy, when I'm a, when I'm a business owner, etc. And Jonathan's one of those guys that's just just a little bit ahead of me, that I look towards because I want to be like Pastor Jonathan someday when I get to his age, which is just a couple of years or so. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I, you know, Introductions, we usually talk about who we are, and I want to tell you who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's who I am, and God has entrusted me to be a father. He's entrusted me to be a spouse. Those are my primary responsibilities as a follower of Jesus, to take care of the people that God's entrusted me with as an occupation, what I do to support that is a financial advisor through Edward Jones. So I'll share with you my value proposition, see why I'm even here, and see if maybe you can walk away tonight with one thing that will speak truth to you tonight. But before I do that, I have to talk to Pastor Daniel Quimby, because Daniel Quimby, the one thing I really love about him and Emily is the fact that I don't get to see him as much as as usual or what we used to, but when I see him, one of the first things we gravitate to, and one of the immediate things we gravitate to, is you guys. He's got a heart for you guys. He loves and cares for you deeply. And when I talk to him, it's not about, oh my goodness, we had this, this room full. It's about, man, you should see what's going on in some of these kids' lives. God has taken a hold of their heart. It's rocking their world. Clint, there's a movement going on here at UNI Campus. I'm excited to be part of it. That's what I love about him because it's all about the heart, it's all about following Jesus, and he wants everybody else to join in that party. So let's give him and Emily a round of applause, can we? Yeah. All right, so my value proposition, if, if you're coming in my office, I'm going to sit down with you. Here's the, the commercial I'm going to give each and every one of you. I genuinely care about what's important to you. I use an established process to create personalized strategies to help you accomplish what's most important to you. The vow that I'll make for you is that I will partner with you and your family throughout the rest of your life to ensure you're on track to accomplish what it is that's most important to you. Well, what does that mean? Well, your parents, maybe you too, but your parents probably have some unique goals when it comes to finances, some of which is the reason why you're sitting here. They came to people like myself and said, Clint, I got kids. And college is expensive. I want to help them. What do I do? And I put together a strategy to help them accomplish that important goal to get you through college. So thank your parents tonight. Other times, it's talking about retirement. Hey, Clint, I want to retire someday. I love working, but not so much. I want to be done at some point. So we devise a plan and a strategy to help them accomplish that. Whatever it may be, I help them steward the resources that God has given them as a financial advisor through Edward Jones. One thing I've noticed as a, as a human being, as, as a a young child, I noticed that there's a lot of things that my parents or grandparents or even employers would have me do that seemed really insignificant at the time. But with hindsight in my favor, I'd look back and see that it was just something at the beginning because they had something bigger for me down the road. So can I share a story with you? Is that okay? Can I share a story about my childhood? It's a pretty depressing childhood, but I'm going to tell you about my childhood. Man, I, anybody ever pick up sticks? Okay, so I grew up in one of the most majestic corner lots in Waverly. Waverly's just north of here, if you don't know that. Big corner lot, almost an acre yard. That's pretty big. It's a big hill, great for sledding in the winter. Majestic oak trees. I'm an outdoorsman. Oak trees mean a couple things. Turkeys, deer, and I like to hang out for them and wait for them to walk by. That's a different story, different time. But we had some majestic oak trees. and I think they're one of God's best creations He put out there, just because they're always gnarly, always different. On top of that, we had big pine trees and big maple trees. And my job as a young boy was to go around before dad would get home from work or in the summer before he'd come home and pick up sticks. And this is one of those big yards that I would carry around a giant trash can and I'd fill that thing up one, two, three times, sometimes two or three times a week. That was my responsibility as a little child. Can I be vulnerable with you too? Is that okay? You want to tell anybody? I used to cry myself to sleep during storms. Serious. I mean, just think about this. As scary as it is for a child, I understand why my son gets scared when the thunder strikes. I mean, the house makes a loud boom. It's a, whoa, what was that? And then the lightning strikes, and all of a sudden you see those gnarly oak trees that look like animals and wild things coming at you. And all of a sudden the house is peter-patterning and all the heavy raindrops. The wind's blowing. You can hear it screaming through the windows. And I'd cry myself to sleep. But not because of the storm. I was just thinking about all the sticks that I'd have to pick up the very next morning. Man, I loathed picking up sticks. Hated it. I was the stick guy at the Whitcomb household. One day, Paul comes home and he says, all right, Clint, it's time to mow. I'm like, yeah, I got my job done. I picked up the sticks. He goes, no, you're getting on the mower with me. You're going to learn how to mow. I'm like, me? I'm just the stick guy. I don't know how to mow. He, he, he just threw me on the mower and I started driving around. A school bus was coming down the road. I drove off the curb and boom, I got... No, that didn't happen. But what happened was my dad said, I'm going to teach you how to mow. Get on my lap, little guy. This is how we start the tractor. This is how we lower and raise the deck. Here's how we turn on the blade. Here's how we go around things and sh- send the projectiles this way. And after several weeks of me learning and his hands slowly coming off that wheel... To the point where he's standing from a distance, walking, just enough striking distance where he could run over or something went bad, to the point that I was fully entrusted with to take care of the entire yard from picking up sticks to mowing that entire one acre lawn. I didn't like picking up sticks, but at one point, the keys were turned over to be a lawnmower operator. See, my dad could have hired a qualified yard master to take care of the yard. But over time, he invested with me. And as I was a good steward of picking up sticks, he increased my responsibility. And as a result, I became qualified to mow the yard. And to think all those times I was just picking up sticks, my dad was just preparing me for something bigger. So I got a question for you. With what you're doing now, does it seem insignificant? If you think it is insignificant, then you're right. Ouch me give a perspective twist. However, if you view the responsibilities you have now as preparation for something bigger, then I'll tell you, you're right as well. See, that's what God does. It's a silly illustration about picking up sticks, but he's always preparing us for something bigger. And guess what? You guys have probably heard this phrase, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He gives us what we can handle, and as we show that we're fit to lead and that responsibility, he increases his favor and entrusts us with more. If we handle it with care, knowing there are eternal ramifications at place. So as followers of Christ, we must ask ourselves, are we making an impact for the kingdom of God, or are we hardly impacting the kingdom? So here's a question I also ask too. If we look at the world's perspective, the world will tell us what is significant and what is insignificant. And I challenge you to believe what I believe. That God doesn't view what we do as insignificant because he created each and every one of us for a specific reason and none of us will fulfill that purpose until we take full responsibility of the things God has entrusted us with right now. Let's pray as we jump into some passages. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your love. God, I pray that you would use this message to change hearts, change perspectives, Gotta pray that, that your word would come through my mouth today. I would be your mouthpiece. God, most importantly, Lord, I would pray that each one of us would learn something about being a better steward of the things that you've entrusted us with. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to read a passage I, I almost guarantee if you guys have been in a church over the course of your life, you've probably heard of. But there's four things that I feel God's placed in my heart to pull out of this passage. If you guys have your Bibles with you, open those up. Pull out your U-version Bible app, or peer over your neighbor's shoulder. And if they don't have a Bible, Daniel, do you have any that they could have? Oh my goodness, I'm a good listener. All right, so we're going to be reading Matthew. Anybody? I'm thinking you guys are teenagers, but I'm going to do it anyways. Where can we find Matthew? Where? Near Mark, other buddies. But it's the first book in the in the New Testament. Which would be found about three quarters through the Bible. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And they have it on the screen too if you just want to be lazy and look up there. All right, verse 14. I'm going to read a lot of passages, so stay with me, guys. All right, don't mind if I walk around. I'm just going to make sure you're paying attention. So, verse 14 again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one, he gave them five bags of gold, to another, two bags into another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put the money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole like a dog in the ground, and hid his master's money. That was the uh, NSV version, New Street version. Verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful for a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22, The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two bags of gold? See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful for a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 24, then the man who received one bag of gold, master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid, went out, hid your gold in the ground, see here what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. While well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take this bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is an absolutely powerful passage. There's a lot of different ways to attack this passage, but tonight, there's four things when it comes to financial stewardship I want to pull out of this passage. First one is combating the employee mentality. Second will be accepting the responsibility. Third, never too much. And fourth, your trustworthiness will either get you promoted or get you canned. So let's start with number one, should we? Combating the employee mentality. Business owners, if you've ever met one, work really hard. They don't care what the task is, whether it's taking out trash or picking up sticks or doing what the business is intended to do. They work hard to get it done. Why? Because it's their business. They take ownership in that business. And what we have, what we need to have is an ownership mentality that what we do matters, that there could be souls at stake with what we do. It may seem like we might be just picking up sticks, but I guarantee you God's got bigger things in store for each one of you. At the same time, we must acknowledge who the master is. Catch this? We must acknowledge who the master is. God created the whole world and everything in it in how many days? Six. Six days. So therefore, God created it. He owns it. As far as I know, he hasn't transferred ownership. So the master would be God. He created it. Therefore, he owns it. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, To the Lord your God belong the heavens even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Catch this. He says that God created it all. He owns the earth, everything on it, swimming in it, running on it, flying on it, above it, way above it. God owns it. Guess what? Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12 reiterates this. He says that every animal is mine. Not like a toddler, right? No, this is God saying everything on this earth, it's mine. The cattle on a thousand hillsides, it's mine. The insects flying around is mine. And guess what? He's appointed us as the rulers. He's entrusted us with these possessions and these things on this earth. He has loaned us the possessions that we have. In the parable of the master, he says he entrusted his wealth to them. So that makes us stewards of God's possessions, stewards of his possessions. I don't know about you guys, but when someone loans me something, I tend to take better care of it because I want to make sure I bring it back to that person so I get an opportunity to borrow something from them again. If Pastor Jonathan's got an extremely good set of power tools and I want to borrow one of them, I'm going to bring it back clean and in good shape so I can use another one when I need it. And That's the same idea with what God is calling us to do when he entrusts us with something. The money in our pockets, the responsibility we have at work, the families that we serve, he's entrusting us with it. Point two, we must accept that responsibility. Two of these servants recognized that they were good stewards, and the other one, not so much. It says that the man who received five bags of gold at once, catch this, at once put his money to work and gained five more. He must invest invested it with Edward Jones. Verse 17, it says that the man that had two bags of gold went and he got two more bags of gold. He must have gone down the street to Raymond James and only got two. I love this when the master comes back, though. He comes back for this employee review. Anybody in here ever have an employee review with your boss? Right? Kind of intimidating. So he comes back, and that first servant comes up to him and says, Master, you entrusted me. Do we have that mentality? You've entrusted with me something big. are we the ones that are saying, I want to be in the mower, but I'm over picking up sticks? Do we have the mentality of the first two servants or the other one? So, what if your boss tells you to go out and take out the trash? Say, okay, I'll do it well. Use me as you see fit. Do we tell God that? Do we have that mentality that whatever it takes... I will not let you down. Use me as you see fit. I want to be used by you, God. And I don't care if it's just picking up sticks. You've entrusted me. and with your help, I'll not let you down. Third point, never too much. The master is wise. He's a smart dude. Pastor Jonathan and I were just talking about this next point, that good leaders most effectively deploy the strengths of their team members and make their weaknesses invisible. Catch this. This isn't a Clint Wickham quote. I borrowed this. Good leaders find ways to most effectively deploy the strengths of their team members and make their weaknesses invisible. This master we see in this parable delegated these particular tasks of making money for three of his servants, and it said each according to their ability, their strengths. I know we're all in different stages of our faith journeys. We're all different levels of leadership skills, but we all have unique skills that others do not possess. God knows this. The question we have to ask ourselves: Do we, when God called us to a position of influence, do we use this opportunity to leverage it for the kingdom of God, or do we try to talk ourselves out of that promotion? I'm not qualified. I'm young. I'm I'm not that intelligent. I've never done it before. I've only picked up sticks. Remember that God is always with us. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at all times. So the next time that your conscience or someone tries to tell you that you aren't qualified to lead, to speak to that person, to reach out to that person, to go invite them to the uh, friend day, uh, invite a friend day uh, in a couple weeks, uh, you're qualified to do it. God gave you lips, God gave you tongue, and God gave you that relationship that you have influence to invite them on. Trust your heart. When you feel a tug on your heart, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to do it, if it's a good thing. The fourth one, this is a big one. Your trust within this will either get you promoted or fired. Who's here has ever had a job? Who currently has a job? Who works just as hard as you do every day when your boss is around? Whoa, my hands went down. We you getting tired? Okay. So the question we ask ourselves, do we work as hard as we normally do when the boss isn't around? This master comes back after an extended time of absence, and he sits down for that performance review. You know, just like when my clients walk into my office for an annual review, they sit down and say, Clint, we've entrusted with you our finances. We've given you everything, our life savings. Tell me, what have you done with it? Last few years has been fun. Done really good. Here's your performance. We're on track to accomplish your goals. If not, here's some suggestions we can do to help personalize that to get you on track. They want to sit down and say, I've entrusted with you with something. Tell me how you're doing. And We see how I've been doing, and we have conversations around it. That's what this guy's doing in this parable. He's sitting down having a performance review. In those performance reviews, you usually circle around some of the wins that you accomplish in your role, some of the areas of improvement, and you try to justify why you deserve a raise. Why you deserve more responsibility, why you might deserve a promotion. Two of these servants laid it on the table and said, I gave it my all. You entrusted me with something and I got it done. For what I was given, I made it more. It wasn't easy. I got it done though. They deserved their raise, they deserved their promotion. Now, this is what I love about this phrase. It doesn't go, or this parable, it doesn't go in a ton of depth on it. I've done a lot of research on the commentaries, but it says that the master knew that those two could be trusted because they were given a task to make money. And each took initiative and took care of it. They didn't need people watching over them, apparently, to make sure that they got that work done. They were going to work hard whether the boss was around or not. And what I love about this is that the master did not lay out the expectations. Maybe he did, but this was Jesus talking about parables. parable, so it might not have been a real thing. I don't think it was. He's just saying, go out there, make money. Do what you do best, use your skills, and make more. He didn't say, buy this parcel of ground, plant this type of crop, buy these type of animals. He just said, do what you do, and do it well. I trust you, but I'll be back. And they got promoted for their effort. His master replied, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful for a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. In essence, that's what God's created for us, a holy partnership for his believers, sharing the work and the prophets with each and every one of us. God's saying, I created you with some pretty specific, unique skill sets, and I need you to utilize those in this world for my kingdom. And if you do them, then you're sharing the prophets, the rewards of this kingdom. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26, is one of my favorite verses, it says, to the person who pleases him, he gives them the knowledge, wisdom, and happiness, and to the sinner, he gives them the task of going about, gathering and storing up wealth, to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless and chasing after the wind. The key of this phrase is to the one who pleases him. The key to success in anything, if you, however you define happiness, is to please God. In full-out abandonment, pursuing God. He'll give you happiness. He'll give you knowledge. Going through life storms, going through life trials, Going through the bumps. She's not saying, hey, it's gonna be perfect, it's gonna be really good. Get on the boat, it's gonna be a really smooth ride. She's saying it'll be bumpy. But well, when you can lean on me for your hope, you find happiness, you find a calm, you find a peace that this world cannot give you. And as a financial advisor six years ago, I started with a lot of assets, zero. My first client was Clint Whitcomb, and he invested a couple thousand dollars, which was a lot of money for this dude six years ago. Six years later, as my responsibilities have increased, as I've done a good job of stewarding the resources that I've taken care of, I'm now managing about $150 million. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. There's nights I can't sleep a night when a particular investment's not doing what it should be doing, when people are falling short of their goals, whether it's bad planning from previous people or they just didn't save enough money having those hard conversations, it hurts. But what I love about my career is it's also ministry. I get the opportunity to sit across the table, pray with them, Write cards saying, I'm sorry that you fell and broke your ankle on the ice last night, Angie. I'll pray for you. I'll keep praying for you. Let me know what I can do to help. I can use my, my office as a ministry. And that gives me happiness. The money's okay. That's fine. But I find happiness that I can use my, my skills to help better the kingdom and something that they need. To hand over that wealth that each and every one of us has worked hard to do and help them achieve their serious goals. The other servant, though. <laughs> the other guy. Oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. If you please God, you'll find wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. And if you live a life that points back to God, you'll find happiness on this earth. Through those trials, through those storms, through it all, if you please God, you'll find happiness in this earth, even going through the crud. FYI, not a rabbit trail, but this is probably pertinent. My mom died when I was a college student uh, I was a senior in college, went through two months after she passed away. Walked through the graduation line. Can I tell you that sucked? I had two kids. I'm mean, gonna have a third one. My mom was never there for either one of them. I have a brother who has two kids. My mother was never there for any of them. I lost all four of my grandparents before I was 25 years old. I've gone through a lot of crap. In sixth grade, I wanted to commit suicide because I was picked on, ostracized. I was a loser, a short, still am. Uh, I wasn't cool. I've gone through a lot of crap, but I found happiness on this earth because I have Jesus. Okay? Uh, Sorry, Rabbit Trail. I'll get back on, on the game trail, though. All right. The other servant, though, that lazy dude, that scoundrel, that disgruntled one, the misguided one, he got fired, right? He got kicked out. Why? Why? He negotiated the minimums. Don't negotiate the minimums. He said, What's the least amount of work I can do? and not get in trouble, because this guy's not cool. He's mean. He's wicked. I'm going to bury it in the ground like a dog. No one ever finds those dogs' bones. I'll do the same thing. I'll bury it in the ground, so when he gets back, I won't have lost it. He negotiated with the minimums. What's the least amount of work I can do and not get in trouble? Didn't work out for him. But guess what? This guy still entrusted him with something. Anybody know what a bag of gold's worth? I don't care how small the bag is. It's worth a lot of money. Yeah, one guy got five bags of gold. The other guy got two. Well, that one guy only got one bag of gold. I'm in. Give me one bag of gold. Sure. He's still entrusted with a bag of gold. That's one thing we don't catch on this parable. We focus on the two guys. Did a great job. Fantastic work. Much is given. Much is expected. Blah, blah, blah. But we forget about the one guy. It wasn't like he said, hey, go take this sheep and make more. And these guys got gold. He said, I'll give you a bag of gold. So why? Why did he blow it so bad? Now, let's make some assumptions. What if he was the newest employee? Maybe he was much younger than the other two guys. He didn't have a track history of performance like the other two did. Maybe the master had seen this guy time and time take little and turn it into much. Clearly, this master saw something in him in order to trust him. Maybe this was the final task before something big for the servant's life. Maybe that master could not wait to get back. He's like, I know the guy with fives and turning more. That guy's been doing it for 20 years. And I know the guy that gave two has been doing it for 15. He's a son. He'll do it too. But I'm pumped to see what Johnny did with the one bag of gold because that guy blows my mind with what he comes up with. So I give him a little bit, and I can't wait till he supersedes all expectations. And I go, well done. Well done. You're the man. You just jumped ahead of those other two guys. What if? What if? That's what the master had in mind for that guy. We don't know. Maybe the master was looking at this guy just like myself, watching him picking up sticks, and at some point he was going to hand it all over to this guy. What if that was the case? What if this servant, the wicked and lazy servant, had forfeited his chance to be the overseer? of the master's estate because he didn't use the skills that the master clearly saw in him. The master saw it. He entrusted him, but yet he didn't do it. So our question is, what will we forfeit if we don't steward what God has given us? What will we forfeit if we don't steward well what God has entrusted us? But on a positive note, one of the things I really love about this passage Another one of the things I really love about this passage, the guy that was given five went at once. Didn't say he didn't write up a plan, he went at once. He didn't complain about the task, he didn't worry about the outcome, he didn't struggle with procrastination, he went at once. Do we respond that way? When we get an assignment or a responsibility, do we go at once to get that assignment done? I can't wait to do this research paper. Thanks, professor, I'm going to go get it done right now. When we're given that responsibility, do we act on it right away? question that might hurt Are we people that we'd hire ourselves? Are we people that we'd hire ourselves? 20 years ago, maybe not, for me. We don't know what he did. But that five, that guy that was given five, what he did. But he went out there and did it good. We all have areas that God has gifted us with. This guy could have been a camel jockey for all we know. He could have been really good at finding good, seriously, he could have been really good at finding camels, which is a giant mode of transportation then, finding good prices, flipping them and brokering them back and forth. That could have been what he did. Maybe he bought a parcel ground. Maybe he planted a good crop. We don't know. But he did what he was good at, each according to their own ability. Maybe he was a blacksmith. Maybe he invested in his business. And as the profits grew, he grew the master's share of it. I'm going to share with you a question that I ask myself when it comes to big decisions. When I make financial decisions, when I make decisions about my family, when I make decisions, I go through this little exercise. It says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, "...therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil." Andy Stanley frames it like this, "...in light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances," in light of my future goals and aspirations, is this a wise thing for me to do? So in light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future goals and aspirations, this opportunity, this decision, is this a wise thing for me to do right now? I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I want God to use me. I want to help people. Should I go on this trip to Trinidad? Let me tell you something. I've never been on a mission trip, and I regret it. I, I wish I was a college student right now. Well, no, I don't wish this. But I, I wish when I was a college student uh, and I didn't have a wife and kids that I would have done something like this. I wish I would have stepped out my faith. Because a lot of you might have the thought that you're going to go down to Trinidad and you're going to radically change someone's life. But let me tell you something. God's going to radically mess up yours. It's going to radically mess up your life. I haven't met too many people that have gone on a mission trip and come back normal. They come back rot and in good reason. God's going to put a fire in your belly, and I'm really excited to hear about it. Uh, So, when we graduate, when we make decisions, go through that thought process. In my past experiences, my current circumstances, current goals, what I'm going to do right now is this wise decision. As we're clicking through the TV, oh, hey, this is a really cool thing. With only four payments of $24.95, you can have this, and it's worth $50. Is that a wise thing to do? Probably not. Should I subscribe to this magazine? Should I subscribe to Dish and lie to my future goals and aspirations? Or could that $100 be better stewarded to support Chi Alpha? Could it be better supported to give to God through my tithe? Is it better supported to give through an offering? Every day, thousands of decisions we have, we can run that through that equation. And I guarantee, just as Andy Stanley says, if we start running that filter, running it through that filter, we'll start making better decisions and living with fewer regrets. So here's my closing encouragement for everybody in this room, and uh, the worship team, you can start working your way back up here. I'll be finished in a couple of minutes. Praise Jesus at everybody in the room. Each one of you is specially skilled in certain things. You may be a gifted speaker, a talented artist, an amazing collaborator, an amazing encourager, a tremendous teacher, or one heck of a burger flipper. Use that. Steward that gift for the kingdom. I know not many of us are headed into full-time ministry like Pastor Daniel, Pastor Jonathan. But even though our careers might not be in ministry, our careers should be about ministry. Catch that? Even though our careers might not be in ministry, our careers should be about ministry. So lastly, we deploy these giftings into the world, we're surely get paid to do that. To be a teacher, to bless little kids to teach them. You're get paid to do that. Be wise with that money. Invest it eternally. Invest it in kingdom causes. Get that currency back into the kingdom currency. If you don't tithe on your first $100, you won't tithe on your $100,000. Catch that? Your first $100 check you get for babysitting, 1,000 teenagers, if you don't tithe that $10, it'll be really hard to tithe when you're making $100,000 or a million dollars be a lot harder to write that check than the $10 one. I want to make sure I don't make this a prosperity message. I'm not pro- promising prosperity when it comes to this. But when it comes to prosperity, I'm talking about a rich and fulfilled life of satisfaction and peace, knowing that you use your resources to help speed the light of Jesus Christ, not only across U N I Campus, across Cedar Falls, Blackout County, Iowa, across the United States, across the world, because... You used the gifts that God had given you. So does anybody here tonight want to be like me and just want to be used by God? Anybody, anybody want to be used by God to better steward the giftings and the gifts and the resources that we have to help advance God's kingdom? Who wants to help work towards rewarding those around us with the love of Jesus and having that rewarding statement be said by Jesus someday, well done by good and faithful servant. I gave you something; you made it more. I gave you little; you made it more. I increased your responsibility; you kept focusing on me. Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse twenty-six: To the one who pleases Him, He gives of knowledge, wisdom, and happiness. And to the sinner, the task of going about heaping up, storing this wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. So, why would we focus on anything else in our life other than doing our things to help please God?